All right, turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 37. I haven't spoken on Joseph for a long time. We're not talking about the uh, Joseph of the New Testament, but the Joseph of the Old Testament. number of great lessons here in this man's life. We're just going to cover a few of them early on when he was 17 years of age. Notice the scripture says in Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 1, And Jacob dwelled in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Did you hear that statement? Could brothers feel so about one another at such a young age? They hated him. That's not the end. And when his, uh, and Joseph dreamed a dream. And uh, well, verse 4, And when his brethren saw their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Number 2. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? Now look at this, third time. And they hated him yet the more for his dreams And for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, And well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And that's not Alabama. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him 
to slay him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, there are some lessons here in the life of the 17-year-old lad named Joseph that could teach us a number of lessons that we need to pay attention to in our own lives and in our homes and in our walk for the Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray, Heavenly Father, that we'll hear on purpose, we'll listen on purpose, and allow you to do a work in our lives. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Bible, God gives us a number of characters that he tells us about. And each of those, of course, are to teach us some lessons. There's so many applications that we can make from each of these stories, whether it be a little boy sharing his food with Jesus, or a young John Mark leaving the missionary team of Barnabas uh, and Paul and uh, on their first missionary journey, or whether it be 80-year-old Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, or an 80-year-old Barzillai who came down to help King David when he was being run off the throne by his own son. The point is, no matter the age, you are responsible before the Lord to do his will. Even that unnamed lady, that unnamed woman who anointed the feet of Jesus at Simon the leper's house. And he said of her when the disciples complained, she hath done what she could. So we are responsible to do what we can in our service for the Lord. Now, Joseph is an interesting character. In a number of ways, he is a type of Christ. And there are so many lessons to learn throughout his life that can be a blessing and very applicable to us. Now, we see him at 17 in this story in uh, the book of Genesis. But there are four times that he appears uh, before this story in the scripture. For instance, in Genesis 30, verses 23 through 24, we have the story at his birth. His father Jacob, by the way, at that time was 91 years of age. Now, if you figure that out, if you ever got this idea that Jacob left home at a young age to go and find a wife up at Laban's, that's not the case. He was about 84 when he left to go up to find a wife. They just figure out the timing on this thing, and you wonder why he and Esau had such problems at that age, but that's another thing for another time. His mother is Rachel. That was Jacob's favorite wife. He had favorites. Now, I hope that the wife in your home is your favorite wife. That's the way it needs to be. It shouldn't have to even be mentioned because he had four. He had Leah, he had Rachel, he had Bilhah, and he had Zilpah. Now, that is problems in itself, and you can figure that out. In Genesis 33 and verse 2, when Esau was approaching Jacob, and Jacob divided his family into several groups, you remember that the last group that Esau would meet up with would be Rachel and her son, Joseph. He, again, showed his favoritism in protecting them last of all. And then in Genesis 35 and verse 24, his name is listed in the registry of Jacob's sons with Benjamin, his only full brother. And by the way, at the birth of Benjamin is when Rachel dies. So that's when that takes place. So early in his life, he had to learn hardship. Early in his life, he had to learn about Trials. Think of some of the things that he had seen in his family. 
For instance, he witnessed his father running from Laban. He witnessed his father's new limp that he got after praying to the Lord all night. He heard his father's own deception because when Jacob told Esau that you go on back home and we'll come down and we'll bring all this stuff down to you, when Esau leaves, instead of going down to Edom, he crosses over the Jordan River and goes to Shechem and never goes down as far as we know to where Esau was. So even after that night of prayer, an all-night of prayer, when his name is changed from Jacob to Esau, we find he was still a trickster and still a supplanter. By the way, let me say about Joseph, yes, he had hard times. Yes, he had difficult times. Everybody does. This is a day when we've all got to be victims. Ever since the fall of man, there have been hard times. You're not the only one that has hard times. There are a lot of people here. I know of the hard times that you've been in. You know some of my hard times that I've been in. Uh, But guess what? Life goes on. And you can either make something out of it for good or you can sit there and cry and whine and just be nothing in your life expecting everybody else to simply do for you. Hard times are part of life. And you would think for believers that we would know, even in hard times, we can make something out of it. I mean, we live in a day today where some young people feel that they've had a hard time because mom and dad took them to church. Mom and dad wanted to raise them by the Bible. Oh, that's so cruel. That is so hard. And yet, it's amazing. Hey, how many of the rich kids out there, I'm talking about the rich kids, where their dads get them the $50,000 cars and all that to drive to high school, feel like, feel like that they're having the worst of time. If you only knew what my home was like. Everybody believes they have hard times. Do something with your life for the glory of God. Well, first of all, in the passage that we read, we see some of the principles of Joseph. Principle seems to be a very keynote in Joseph's life, especially when you remember that Joseph's story takes place before any of the Bible was written. Now think about it, because there are a number of stands for God that Joseph makes, and he couldn't go. He couldn't go and open up his Bible and say, hey, I'm just doing what God says in his word. Here is a boy who could do right even without a Bible. And he believed in the right God, even without a Bible. Well, hey, the heavens declare the glory of God. The Bible says that they show us his eternal power and Godhead so that man is without excuse because of the creation of mankind. But Joseph was a man of principle, whether it be his honesty and purity in Potiphar's house or whether it be his lack of retribution when he had the opportunity to do something to his brothers who sold him into slavery, he didn't do it. He forgave them. He was a man who was under control. According to the verse of Scripture, he was, the, he was with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. That would be Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher. And possibly the other brethren were around too. But one thing we know for sure is that Joseph was not permitted to simply sit around the camp he was working. He may have been the favorite son, but he had things that he was supposed to do. He had learned something about responsibility. Now, 
I've heard some young preachers get up and try to say that Joseph must have been a tattletale because he went home and he told his father of the evil report of his brethren. God never says that. God never says that anything that Joseph said here was wrong. God never rebukes him. The dreams that he tells about were dreams that came from God himself. Now, I know there are some people out there today that if you get up and give a glowing testimony, you got to go out so winning and you saw three saved or you saw four saved. There are some people who think if you give a testimony like that, it must be out of the evil of your heart. You're just writing notches on your, on your New Testament, your soul winner's New Testament, and you're just trying to show off. Well, now, maybe you are trying to show off, but if you know you're not, you're giving a testimony. Why do we always look at people who are trying to serve the Lord when they share what God has done with them, that they're just show-offs and they've got bad motives about it? By the way, preachers do the same thing. A preacher gives a glowing report about what God's doing in his church and other preachers sit back and saying, yeah, right. Instead of rejoicing with them that God's doing something in their work. Praise God when God works like that. But by today's standards, there are many who think he was a tattletale. And, but this whole group had problems. For instance, in Genesis chapter 34 and verse 25... Uh, his family was guilty of murder. In chapter 35 and verse 22, you've got the immorality by Reuben, the oldest son, with Bilhah, the handmaid of, his, of, uh, of the Lord, or of, of Jacob. In 37 and verse 4, we see their hatred. In chapter 37 and verse 11, we see their envy. In chapter 37 and verse 28, we see them selling Joseph into slavery. In chapter 37, verses 31 through 3, when they go home, they take the coat. You remember they had put it in a kid's blood so that when Jacob would see the blood on the coat that he would be deceived, thinking that Joseph was dead and he wasn't dead. This family had some major problems. And again, in chapter 38, we find Judah committing immorality with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. I'm just simply saying, these children of Jacob, these children of Israel, they were a mess. And yet this young man came out of it with a glowing testimony. And let's face it, he suffered wrong more than them all. You can't tell on evil people without facing their hatred and their retribution. He told on them. He told the truth. Now, why did he do that? I want you to note how Joseph handled it in the story, by the way, so you don't think ill of him. First of all, as far as we know, he only told his father, and that was the one who needed to know. His father needed to know it. The evil report of his sons. You can't do anything about it if you don't know it. I have told every youth pastor that we've had come in, or I've told our teachers, if a child does wrong, tell the parents. I believe strongly in the authority of the parents over the children. I believe that. The teachers are not their parent. The youth pastor, not their parent. There's one person that needs to know if there's a problem. That's the parent. 
I tell you what, if my kids got into a mess, got, got into some evil things, and I found out the youth pastor knew about it and never told me, I would fire that youth pastor in a heartbeat. There are things that do need to be told. And he told the right person. He told the man that needed to know. Not only that, he spoke the truth. Now, some would ask, well, why did he speak at all? And it's because he was obligated to the father. These, these men had done wickedly in the father's possession and in their works. Therefore, it needed to be exposed. You see, he was opposed to evil. Now, I know he was a narc. When I hear that, I just want to throw up. What kind of nonsense is that? People do wickedly, they need to be punished. Amen. I can tell you from experience, the most important thing to the brothers' minds was not did they do it, but who told? That's the way it always is with the guilty. The most important thing is who told? When the most important thing should be, is it true? Now you're getting quiet on me, you scare me just a little bit. I know what I'm giving you is totally contrary to our culture today. But what I'm giving you is biblical truth. I I can't tell you how many times that we have dealt, since I tell them you need to tell parents, that we've dealt with parents and the first thing out of their mouth is who told. I don't care who told. I want to know is it true. And as a parent, if it's true, I want to deal with it. What's wrong with us? Who told? He's to be commended for his report. He is to be, Joseph is to be commended for his conduct. He did not participate in their sin. He was not like them. I mean, after all, you know, it's tough when a bunch of people are doing something not to participate with them. But the Bible tells us, which he didn't have yet, in Exodus 23, 2, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. So we see some of the principles of Joseph that he already had in his life, and why are they so lacking in the lives of believers today? Then there's the privileges of Joseph in verses 3 through 11. Now, one of those privileges came from his earthly father. The other privilege came from his heavenly father. Jacob loved Joseph more than all his children. Now, right away, we say, here's a problem. Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his children. And right away, without reading anything else, without knowing anything else, I know that this is going to be a problem. It's been a problem for centuries and centuries and centuries When the parents play favorites over their children, kind of reminds me back in the 60s, some of you remember a comedy team by the name of the Smothers Brothers. And they made a fortune out of this. Mom loved you best. Mom, they had a whole routine that they did on mom loved you best. And boy, that can be a problem. It's human nature thing to note every privilege that the other siblings get. That's human nature. I have no doubt that my sister, the oldest of my two sisters, who is my younger sister, uh, 
Uh, she was younger than me. Uh, I have no doubt that dad loved her best. She got so many privileges we didn't get. Little brat. <laughs> we joke about it today. Wasn't funny back then. This was true, though. Jacob did love him more than the others. And that's a problem. Now, Jacob should have understood that would be a problem. Why is that? Well, you remember his home, Rebekah and Isaac. Rebekah loved him more than Esau. And Isaac showed favoritism toward Esau. And no wonder they, that Esau ended up hating Jacob with what took place. So you'd think he would have learned that lesson. Well, why did he love Joseph more? Because he was the son of his favorite wife. Whoa, there's another problem in it. <laughs> you understand, this home is messed up. It's got some major problems. Part of the problem with Joseph was that Jacob made a show of it. All right, so you have feelings toward one child in some areas more than another child. You don't make a show of it. I mean, you're asking to make some real problems for all the kids put together. You've got to be careful about that. The coat of many colors, though. I mean, let's face it, his brothers, every time he put on that coat, his brothers were reminded, Dad loves him more. Dad loves him more. Dad loves him more. You wonder, what about when Benjamin came along? And yet, evidently, there was nothing, of course, in that relationship because uh, Benjamin was the son of Jacob and, uh, and Rachel. But you remember, it was Benjamin, his birth cr- caused the death of his mom. And yet, Joseph and Benjamin still got along well together. But why would Jacob single him out, the son of his favorite wife, the son of his old age at that time till Benjamin came along? But the truth, truth is they all were. Who can explain this kind of thing going on in a home? Why is it? What's a shame is too many families don't wake up to the problem until it's too late to fix it. And Jacob never seems to wake up to the problem at all. In Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob blessed his children, he makes an interesting statement about his firstborn, Reuben. He says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. And then he says, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. He talks about Simeon and Levi. In their anger, they slew a man. They wouldn't excel either. So there was the earthly privilege from his father. But then there's also a heavenly privilege here because he, the heavenly father does not give Joseph the dream twice to anybody but Joseph. The heavenly father gives the dream to him. Why wouldn't he tell it? There's absolutely no indication that he told it in a proudful way. God gave him something. Hey, if you read a scripture that you see for the first time, you may have read it a hundred times, but one day you see it, it meets a need in your life, it blesses you, and you tell somebody else, 
because you've been blessed by a scripture from the Lord and reading the book, why should they think evil of you because you told them a blessing you just got? Well, it's because they already hated him. And I want you to understand that if somebody hates you, a brother offended is harder to be one than a city. They're already offended. And they're going to find some fault in you simply repeating a blessing from the Lord. So don't be shocked when that happens. He will come in contact with more dreams later on. And each time they are two in number, like the two that he has here. Repetition repetition signifies in the scripture a certainty of the truth. Now, here's the message. The future supremacy of Joseph. That's what we see in these dreams. Well, who is he to think that somehow he's going to be above his brethren? Well, he didn't think that. God showed him that. Imagine having that kind of knowledge on you. God showed him that. Of course, they sell him into slavery, and I don't have any doubt that they probably talked about, let's see how his dream does now. But God had that worked out, didn't he? God took care of every bit of that. So this brought about hatred. After the first dream in verse 5, the Bible says his brothers hated him yet the more. Let me ask you a question. Why is Israel hated around the world? Why is it hated? God loves them. Why is it there are a lot of people who say they're Christians and they hate Israel? Well, you know, the Jews, they control all the money of the world. They've got control of everything that's going on. Oh, wake up and read your Bible. God has control of what's going on. And God did love them. Matter of fact, let's take a look at it. Go back to Deuteronomy. Go over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Notice verses 6 through 9. I didn't write it. God did. And because he wrote it, people don't like Israel. Notice what he says about him. Chapter 7. Beginning in verse 6, he says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God did that. And God made the statement that he loved Israel. You remember that that fellow that bombed the church down in Birmingham several years ago? He made this statement. I mean, this guy had a lot of problems. It wasn't just racism as far as black and white was concerned. That was only part of his problem. I mean, the truth is he had a problem with God. He made this statement. He said that if you believe that Jesus was a Jew, you're going to hell. Well, I'll tell you what, if he wasn't a Jew, if he didn't come from the line through, through Judah, then we're all still lost because the Messiah is coming through the line of Judah. I mean, what an idiot. Why would he even say such a thing? And why would some people who claim to be saved harbor that? Because God chose them. Listen, I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. 
I'm a Gentile. Thank God he loved me too. But he loved them as a people. Specifically, he gave promises to them. He can do that. He's God. I don't understand some people. I don't understand their thinking. By the way, why does the world also hate Christians? I mean, you take the Muslims, hey, to kill a Christian, to kill a Jew, it doesn't matter to them. They hate them all. Why would they do that? Well, Jesus gives us the answer to that over in John chapter 15. Notice what the Lord Jesus Christ says. In chapter 15, you'll notice he says, oh, let's see, verse 20. Remember the word that I have spoke, that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. He said, listen, it's going to be that way. For you believers, it's going to be that way. They're going to hate you because I love you. Because you belong to me. He's saying, Bible says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a promise. That shouldn't shock us. Why? We belong to God. People don't like that. People get mad at you out on visitation. Now, that's not everybody. But when you say you know you're going to heaven, they don't like that. They don't know. Therefore, they don't think you ought to be able to know. And it makes them mad. But then he writes about that in 1 John. Goes all the way back to Cain and Abel when he accepted Abel's sacrifice uh, and wouldn't accept Cain's sacrifice. So Cain hated Abel. What did he do about it? He killed him. What did Abel do to him? Nothing. God just simply received his sacrifice when he wouldn't receive Cain's. We have future promises that the world doesn't like. What makes you think you deserve it? They missed the whole point. We don't deserve it. My, the marvelous grace of God that offered salvation to us. We just simply took his gift. And the thing is, they could have it too. But the Bible says of Jesus, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Say, well, the Jews, they killed Jesus. I got news for you. It was a Roman soldier had the spike in his hands. It was a Roman soldier that put the spear in his body. But the Bible says this, that it pleased the father to bruise his own son as the sacrifice for our sins. Truth is, our sin put Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Our sin. Not just Jewish sin, not, not just Gentile sin, but the sin of the world. Thank God for his marvelous sacrifice at Calvary. So they hated him simply because he had the earthly love of his father and then the heavenly love of his heavenly father. Then there's the portage of Joseph that takes place in verses 12 through 17. Joseph's brothers from Hebron go up to Shechem. It's about 60 miles away. Now that means Joseph is going to have a trip to make. They went that far to find pasture for Jacob's flocks. And Jacob sends Joseph to pursue and to check up on them to see how things are going. After all, he couldn't call them on a cell phone. He, 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 couldn't, he couldn't get his iPhone camera working to make sure everything was okay. 
The only way he's going to find out how they're doing is to send somebody up to it. And Joseph isn't going to be able to get in his car and drive 60 miles to see him. He's going to have to walk it. It's going to take a while. But Joseph is willing to do it. Jacob sent Joseph to pursue and check on him. And you consider all the animosity. You wonder, why would Jacob send Joseph? Because he didn't have a clue. There are a lot of things parents don't have a clue about their children. You've heard me say this next part often. I've asked the question, and you don't need to respond today, but how many of you did something that your parents never knew about? And whenever I ask that, most everybody raises their hand. Yeah, I, I did something my parents didn't know about. And yet somehow we Christians are so naive, we think our children aren't going to do the same thing. Well, of course they are. They're sinners. Do you understand that? They have a sin nature. That's why God gave them parents. Just didn't set them out on their own right away. They need parents. Parents, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's what they need. And parents are also usually ignorant at the potential depth of their children's sin. That's what, to me, that's one of the amazing things about Job. That here, all ten of his children are grown. They're meeting together. They seem to be a close family. They are meeting together. And here's Job making sacrifice for his children just in case while they're meeting together and having the joy of being together, they curse God in their hearts. That in their hearts, not that they would do something outwardly, but that somehow in the midst of their having a good time, that there would be sin in their heart. He understood his own children would have a propensity to evil. He understood that. Too many Christian parents don't. Matter of fact, since I've been involved in Christian education since starting a school in 1978 at Tennessee Ridge Baptist Church, started one when I was in Manchester, Tennessee. There was one already going here. We've had the school here. Uh, Brother Stark already had a school going here. I can't remember how many students we had when I came here probably about 11, something like that. And, um, and we had some good teachers, praise the Lord for that. But the thing that has always amazed me is how naive Christian parents are about their own kids. I mean, really. Of course, we're one of those parents. Our kids have never had their own room. All the rooms are mine. All the rooms are mine. And they're open for inspection at any times we want to inspect. So you didn't trust your kids? No, I'm not a dummy. I know what I was like. Yeah. And by the way, if they know you're going to inspect, they won't have it out. So you just, you're helping to protect your children. It's amazing to me how many kids, by the way, in this cell phone day, we didn't have to deal with that with our kids growing up with cell phones because there weren't any cell phones. I mean, they had those little play phones, but they didn't go anywhere. Uh, But cell phones, it is amazing how many kids, as far as their parents know, they don't have a cell phone, but they had one of their friends get one for them, and they hide it in the house. And parents don't have a clue. They don't know. Don't know what's going on. Now some of you are worried. 
But here he is. He sends Joseph alone. It's a 60-mile trip that he's going to go. And uh, here he is, a teenager. <laughs> I'd be scared to death to send, my, send a teenage child of mine on a 60-mile trip, not in a car, but walking. Even if it was, even if it was on a cart, that would be, that would be amazing. But here he is, there are no police. Nothing, it seems, to protect him, and he's willing to send him out. He seems to be a very responsible young person. He was concerned about the well-being of his family, and he could trust Joseph to tell him the truth. I tell you what, when you're dealing with family, you want to be able to trust somebody who will tell you the truth. But he was also concerned about his flocks, because after all, that's where his riches were at. The only alternative would have been for Jacob to go himself, but he's not a spring chicken anymore. On Joseph's part, he was very submissive. When he's called by his father to go, he doesn't say, oh, dad. He says, here am I, and he goes. He gets there. We see him being steadfast. He gets there, and the brothers aren't there. Now, this is an opportunity. This is why I don't believe he's a smart aleck kid. This is an opportunity for Joseph to turn around and go back home and say, Dad, I don't know where they're gone. They've just taken off on their own. He doesn't do it. He meets a man who tells him, I heard them say they were going to Dothan. And that's another 20 miles away. And remember, he's going to have to walk. That's going to take a little while. You figure if he walked four miles an hour, that's going to take him how many hours? Five hours. What'd you say? Five hours. I did get that right, didn't I? Whew, I hope so. All right. So we see his steadfastness. When he found out the brothers were gone, he went on farther to find out how they were doing. We also see his bravery with the dangers of the land. Uh, you know, it's amazing to me what some people do today. Uh, have you ever seen the show Cash Cab? Anybody here ever seen the show Cash Cab? So few of you. I mean, this isn't on any major network. Maybe that was the reason. But it's an interesting thing where a guy has a cab, and he, he quizzes people all the way to their destination, and they win money as they go. And sometimes they win a lot of money. Matter of fact, it's, here they are in New York City. In the heart of New York City. And here's a couple. They win like $1,700. He hands it to them in cash. He lets them out in the center of New York City. And they're holding the money up like this. Whoopee. And I'm thinking they're probably going to go home broke. And they won't have spent a dime. Somebody's going to kill them. I mean, there's no way I'd be doing that out on the streets of New York City. Anyway, he goes. Side point, his clothes identified him. They saw him coming. He was wearing his coat of many colors, obviously. It's interesting that most Christians want to hide their identity today from the world by the clothes that they wear. But our clothes should tell people we're believers. Our clothes should mark, mark us as being different from the world. By the way, according to 1 Peter chapter 3... Our clothes should show the hidden man of the heart what we really are to the world. That leads us to the persecution of Joseph, verses 18 through 36. 
You see, with privileges also comes persecution. Abel and Cain, spoken of again in 1 John, Jesus and his brothers, Jesus and his own people. But the Bible tells us, yea, and all who will of God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He told the disciples, the time cometh when whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. Suffice it to say, serving the Father may be our highest calling. But the reality is this, we may suffer for doing so. So be it. We ought to be willing to. So many lessons here in Joseph's life. David was sent by the father to see, uh, I'm sorry, Joseph was sent by the father to see how his children were doing. And he gets sold into slavery because of it. Basic qualities. We look at the Lord Jesus, God's son, in whom God was well pleased. And God's people, the Jews, they didn't like it for the most part. God set his love upon his people Israel. And the world doesn't like it. God set his love upon those who believe. And unbelievers don't like it. God forbid that any of God's people should ever hate what God loves. We should hate what God hates. We ought to be as parents. Don't you wonder, you look at the life of Jacob. There are so many failings in his life. So many failings among most of his family. Where did Joseph ever get the character that he got? He didn't get it from his dad. He didn't get it from his brothers. By the way, I don't think he got it from his mom. Because his mom, you remember, she was the one who stole her brother's idols and brought those out of the land with her. And she hid them by putting them under a seat she was sitting on when her brother came to try to find them. So where did he get this character? I'm going to tell you what that tells me. That no matter what kind of home you're brought up in, you can live sold out for God. No matter what your parents were, no matter what your family was, no matter what school you, you uh, went to, you could have gone to the worst public school on the planet, you can still live for God. Amen. You can make your decision, I'm going to stand for God. Mine, we've only just begun to scratch the surface here on the life of Joseph. And the things that we can learn from this one man's life that God tells us his story. Now, what about in your life? Are you living for the Lord? Are you sold out to him? Have you made up your mind you're going to do right, whether your friends do right or not, whether your siblings do right or not, even whether or not your mom or dad do right, you're going to do right. That God's will is most important. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray, Heavenly Father, you would take what we've learned tonight just out of this brief time dealing with a 17-year-old boy and seeing the character he already had in his life. And he didn't have a Bible to read yet. But he would stand for you. He would avoid evil for you. God, convict us tonight. Change us tonight. Make our homes what they ought to be for your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name.